So we, we launched a series a few weeks ago called You Asked For It, and this series arose out of a survey that we took on Easter, and in that survey, we submitted these questions to you, and, and we said, hey, what are, the, what are the questions, or what are the issues, or, the, or the, uh, the, the areas of focus that you would like to hear about? I think that light has not turned back on yet. There you go. Because it was so strange, because I could see all of you. I was like, wow, hey, everybody. Now I can't see anyone. So, great. No. Um, <laughs> it was really nice to see you guys, though. It was really awesome. Uh, so, so this series um, it, it has been about, you know, what are the questions that you have that you want to hear what the Bible says about these particular questions? And one of the big questions that arose this Easter was the question of justice. What does justice look like? What does it mean to be just? Uh, what does the Bible say about justice? So I've titled this sermon, Justice or Just Us, right? Justice or Just Us. Now, since we're talking about justice, and the passage that I'm going to read today is a conversation between a lawyer and Jesus, I thought it would be appropriate to begin this message with a few lawyer jokes. Would anybody be offended? Um, if I said a few lawyer jokes? So, yeah, okay, the lawyer's in the... Okay, I'm a recovering lawyer myself, so I have the, the, I have the cachet to, to, to tell you these jokes. Um, so here we go. If you really don't like them, just groan. You can just groan. You don't have to laugh. How does a lawyer sleep? First he lies on one side, then he lies on the other. Why did God invent lawyers? So that real estate agents would have someone to look down on. I think that was a double slam, actually. <laughs> What's wrong with lawyer jokes? Lawyers don't think they're funny, and other people don't think they're jokes. So, so this question of justice, what it really boils down to is, how far does my responsibility extend to other people? That's really what the question of justice is about. If my boys come to me and they say, Dad, we're hungry. And I say, oh, okay. And I pull out a big pot of uh, a crock pot with chicken and potatoes and carrots and biscuits. I got biscuits and salad and, you know, sweet tea. And I get this all out. And then I make them sit around the table and watch me eat it. They might say, hey, that's not just. That's not right. Right? That's not fair. That's not Why? Because I have a duty, I have an obligation as their dad to make sure that they are being fed. Right? Now, if I actually scooped out some, some, some food and I gave it to one of the boys and I didn't give it to the other two, I'm just leaving the girl out because she's still drinking just milk, so she's not in this equation. But, but, if, it, but if I gave it to one and didn't give it to the other two, uh, that would be unjust, right? Because I have a duty to all of them. I have a duty to treat them fairly or equitably. So the problem that we have with justice or the question that we have with justice is how far does that duty extend? If a stranger comes to my house and says, hey, I'm hungry, then the question becomes, okay, does my duty extend to that stranger? Do I need to extend my, do I have a responsibility for that stranger? Do I need to feed that stranger? Do I need to give that stranger some chicken, some potatoes, some carrots, and some of my salad, and some of my sweet tea? Am I, am I required to do that? What's the difference between justice and just us? The question boils down to this. 
Who am I responsible for and to what extent? That's the question of justice. Who am I responsible for and to what extent? Because we have a human tendency, all of us, to look out for our own. We're going to take care of our own, and we don't have a tendency to reach out to those who are not our own. We look out for us, just us, and we sometimes forget about justice, right? There was a pastor, a Lutheran German pastor named Martin Niemöller, 1946, and he was really troubled by the fact that other pastors were not speaking out against the, the rise of the Third Reich, Nazism. And he didn't speak out initially because he was afraid. Uh, and finally, when he did start speaking out, this is a poem that he wrote. I want to read it to you. You've probably heard it. It said, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, he said, and there was no one left to speak for me. Is it just us, or is it justice? How far does my circle of responsibility extend? What is justice for those of us who follow Jesus? And if we're not followers of Jesus, how do you define justice? If you're not a follower, what does justice look like? Is it just us, or is it justice? There was a conversation between a lawyer and Jesus, and this is it started off as a question about salvation, but it really boiled down to a question about justice. And I want to read it to you. It, it went like this. A lawyer stood up when Jesus was teaching. A lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. Now let me pause here for a minute. Don't ask Jesus questions that you don't want the answer to. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very problematic practice. When you say, let me just test Jesus on this, right? When you read what Jesus says... He doesn't always say what we like. He always does say what we need. So if you don't really want to know, don't get into it. Just stay on the surface. Skirt around it. But don't try to put him to the test. Because when he starts to speak into your life, it begins to shake things around. So uh, the lawyer said this to Jesus. He said, hey teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, you're the lawyer. What's written in the law? You tell me. And the lawyer answered, he said, the law says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the law says, the lawyer said. And Jesus said to him, that's right. You have answered correctly. Do that and you'll live. Now, that's where the lawyer should have just dropped it. Okay, got the right answer. Moving on. But, the scripture says, he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, notice the motive, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and exactly who is my neighbor? Scripture said, love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer's like, okay. Let's just drill down on that word neighbor. Let's define that a little bit. Who is that neighbor? 
Now, what I love about this is he didn't ask, like, who is God, right? This lawyer was, a, was actually a lawyer of the Mosaic Law, so he's a religious scholar. He's a theologian. He pretty much feels like he's got the God piece figured out. He's got that dialed in. I've obeyed the commandments. I know the rules. I do the rules. I follow the rules. I say the right thing. Think the right thing. I'm orthodox. I'm this, that, and the other, right? So my God area is all squared away. But I'm feeling a little uncertain about this how to treat my neighbor thing. So I want to justify myself. I just, what I want to do is make sure that the circle that I've drawn around myself is the same circle that Jesus is talking about, right? I want to just make sure, I want to justify myself because I'm not entirely sure uh, if I'm extending that responsibility to a significant number of people. The lawyer knew that the consensus among legal scholars of that day was that neighbor was someone with whom you were in a reciprocal relationship. A neighbor is somebody that you give a little bit to and then they give a little bit back. A neighbor is somebody of your own ethnicity. A neighbor is somebody of your own race. A neighbor, in the consensus of the, of the Mosaic scholars of the day, was somebody of your own religious persuasion. A neighbor was somebody that was like you, that you didn't mind helping out because you knew it was going to come back and help you. A neighbor was somebody in a small circle. Might be beyond a family member, but it was still a relatively small circle. So he's saying, who is my neighbor? Because what he wants to do is reduce justice to just us. He wants to make sure that justice doesn't look like anything other than just us. So he says, who is my neighbor? And this leads Jesus to tell one of the most important and one of the most famous stories in all of the scripture. Because Jesus then replied, he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And these robbers stripped the man, and they beat the man, and they left the man, leaving him for dead. And then Jesus said, now by chance, a non-denominational church pastor was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He said, so likewise, another Christian leader, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And then Jesus said something surprising. He said, but an atheist or a Muslim or a born-again Christian or a televangelist, right? Who don't you like? or a Black Lives Matter protester, or a Ferguson police officer, or a Hillary supporter, or a Trump supporter, and if those are all okay with you, a Cubs fan, <laughs> right? Choose your poison. Who is it that you don't like? That's who the Samaritan is in this story, right? Who is it that you are repelled by? That's the Samaritan. He said, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So the, 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 the priest saw him on one side of the road, and he went to the other side of the road, right? The Levites saw him over there. They both saw him. Scripture said he saw him. He saw him, and he went to the other side. 
The Samaritan saw him, and the Samaritan didn't go to the other side. The Samaritan had compassion. Now notice what Jesus is driving at here. Jesus is saying, if we're going to move from just us to justice, we have got to learn to identify with people who are not like us. First principle of moving from just us to justice is identity. We have to learn how to identify with someone that we don't like, someone that's not like us. The priest saw the half-dead man and said, don't like, don't want to go there. I can't identify. Levite, can't identify. The Samaritan said, I see your pain, and I've experienced pain, and I can identify with pain. I might not be like you, but I can identify with pain. I've had injustice wrought against me, so I can identify with the injustice wrought against you. I've experienced heartbreak, so I can identify with your heartbreak, even if you're not like me. I can, I, I've, I've suffered, and so I can identify with your suffering, even if we don't like each other. The Samaritan identified with the man. I was in a conference this week in California in um, Catalina Island off the coast of California. It's a really, really hard place to be. And now, um, there was a, a grant that was issued by the Templeton Foundation, and they uh, funded this conference um, and actually paid, I don't understand why, but paid for my flight and paid for my hotel and food. And it was a, a conference about science and theology. So I was surrounded by these sort of giants in theology and giants in science. Uh, and just running around with my notebook, just taking notes and learning and growing. It was incredible. Um, and I had a conversation with one of the scientists there, and he's a Christian. And, and, and all of these scientists at this conference were Christians, and what they were trying to do is to, to break down this perceived barrier between science and faith, science and theology and so forth. And so I was talking to this one scientist, and he said, you know, there's, a, there's some interesting common ground among uh, people who have very different views about human origins because he was a human origins guy. I said, okay, so what, what, what is that? And he said, well, whether you're a, uh, a young earth creationist or an old earth creationist or uh, an intelligent design advocate or a theistic evolutionist or even an atheistic evolutionist, he said everybody, everybody across the spectrum agrees that all human beings have a common ancestor. And I said, okay, so what does that mean? He said, what it literally means is that biologically, we are all related. We're family. We're all one. He said, no matter what perspective you come from, if you're a science person, if you're a scripture person, or if you're a science and scripture person, everybody agrees we're all one family. So turn to the person next to you and bump their fist and say, what's up, cuz? Boom. <laughs> we're related. He actually cited a Nature article. This was a fascinating article. He cited it, so I went and looked it up on the plane uh, and pulled up the PDF. And here's, what, here's how this article ended. These were scientists from MIT and Yale, and I don't know if they're Christians or not Christians or what, but here's how they ended their article. It said, no matter the languages we speak or the color of our skin, we all share ancestors who planted rice on the banks of the Yangtze, who first domesticated horses on the steppes of the Ukraine, who hunted giant sloths in the forests of North and South America, and who labored to build the Great Pyramid of Khufu. He said, we're all family. 
Every single one of us is family. And not only that, not only are we brothers and sisters, but as believers we know, we also have the same father. The scripture says this, God created man, Genesis 127, God created man in his image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We're not just part of one family, we all have the same father who created all of us. So when we look at somebody else, this is a huge doctrine in the, in the Christian church that has been ignored, I think largely. It's the doctrine, I've, I've talked about it, the Imago Dei. When you look at somebody, you go, that Imago Dei means image of God, right? So you look at them and you go, that person was made in the image of God. But I totally disagree with them. They were made in the image of God. But we don't, have, we don't share anything in common. They were made in the image of God. They don't even believe in God. They were made in the image of God, right? We're all family. And the Samaritan identified with the suffering of the other person. If we're going to move from just us to justice, we've got to throw open our hearts and see other people as being made in the image of God. So the Samaritan identifies with the half-dead man. And then here's what he did next. It says he went to him. He went to him. The other guys went the other way. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he took him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Second principle of moving from just us to justice is intimacy. It's getting close. It's not moving away from. It's getting close to. It's drawing near to. Notice how the priest and the Levite passed on the far side of the road. I met a pastor uh, several months ago. His name's Claude Alexander, Bishop Claude Alexander, and he's in Charlotte, North Carolina. G- great pastor, and I'm so thankful to uh, have uh, you know, met him, and, and, and now we, we have a friendship. Um, and he, I was listening to one of his sermons uh, this is, uh, a few months ago, and he was preaching on this passage. And I love this insight. He said, when you're far away, a half-dead man looks like a dead man. From far away, they, they just they look like they're hopeless, they're worthless. But when you get up close, that's when you can start to see there's some life there. Oh, wow, there's some life. There's a little breath. I actually see the, a, a, a little pulse there, right? But you've got to get up close to see that. When we look at people from far away, we say, you know what, they're hopeless, I'm not even going to mess with that person. I can't even put my time into that person. They're worthless. They have no value to me. They got nothing to offer. That person's a lost cause. But when you get close to them and you start hearing their story and you start hearing their experience, things start to change. That's one of the great benefits of being at U City Family Church. If you need to try to understand somebody's perspective, man, we've got per- every imaginable perspective here. You've got people from all walks of life here, all different backgrounds, all different ethnicities, all different socioeconomic backgrounds, every, across the spectrum. You can go up to somebody and, and hear their story, right? And learn and grow from them. It's intimate. If we want to move from just us to justice, we've got to get close. We've got to get intimate. That's why we're working with the Concordance Academy. We went to the, the thing a couple weeks ago. We're going to be getting close to prisoners, to returning citizens. No longer prisoners, returning citizens. We're going to be getting close to them. We're getting close to the little kids over at Flynn Park. We're getting close. We're like sitting at the desk with them, helping them with their math, helping them with their, 
you know, their homework, right? Because if we're going to make any change, we're going to, you know, uh, create justice, we got to get close. You know, our, our student ministries, they're getting close to these young kids. They're getting close to these students and teenagers, right? They want to hear their stories. A lot of people go, ah, teenagers, right? That's not what they're saying. They're saying, let's get close. Let's hear what they're all about. The Young Life group over at the high school, they're over there. I found out this week, our, our, our student ministry leaders and some of our Young Life folks are going to the school on uh, Tuesday mornings and having donuts and walking the halls and getting close to the kids and meeting the kids. They're chaperoning homecoming this year, right? That's crazy. Way to go. I mean, that's sacrifice. Um, if you want to start creating a just world, you've got to start getting close to the people that either you don't know, you don't like, you don't understand, who are not like you. That's the only way to begin to create justice in this world and to move from just us is to get close to those who are different from you. So get intimate. So the Samaritan got close. He bandaged the man's wounds. He took him to the inn. He took care of the man all night. All night he stayed and took care of this half-dead man. And the scripture says, the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Two denarii, that's a denarii, a denarius is basically one day's labor. So what you get when you, you know, if you're a craftsman and you work for a day. So whatever that was at that time. So he gave two days two days worth of his labor to the innkeeper. And then he says, whatever you spend, if it costs more than that, you know, if he orders the room service and, and you know, watches some movies, let me know and I'll come back and I'll cover the, the rest of it. I'm going to take care of this. He basically put an open tab for this guy. Uh, so the Samaritan identified with the man. The Samaritan, the Samaritan got intimate with the man and the Samaritan invested in the dead man. Two denarii, Right? And I'll pay whatever else you need. If we're going to move from just us to justice, we've got, to, we've got to get intimate, we've got to identify, and we've got to invest. We've got to put out some investment in the people that we're trying to, 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 to help, to serve. Uh, Jameson, my son, is like um, turned seven this last year, right? <laughs> seven, right, babe? Seven, okay. He'll be turning eight this month. Yes, I, that's why I was having trouble with the seven. It was so long ago. But um, uh, his grandmother gave him $20 for his birthday, which is pretty significant. I, she never gave me that. But, um, so she gives him $20 for his birthday, and we go shopping. And we're going, and we're buying all these gifts and all this stuff. And he sees something that he thinks his younger brother Lincoln will like. And so he goes, I, I got to get this for Lincoln. I got I to buy this for Lincoln. I thought, wow, that is really generous. What a... That's a good, that's my son. That's a good, good man. So we go up to pay for everything, and he gets all his toys out of the cart, and he puts them on the thing, and he leaves the other one in the cart, the one that he bought for Lincoln. And I was like, oh, hey, you know, we had to put this on the thing. I thought you were going to buy this for Lincoln. He goes, oh, I'm, I'm going to buy it, but I just want you to pay for it. <laughs> and I'm like, huh. Actually, that's not the way that works. <laughs> Bringing justice means that we don't just buy it. We got to pay for it, right? We got we to we we lay out some of our time, our resources, our wisdom, our, 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 our energies, our talents. We got to put it out there. The Samaritan said, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach into my pocket. I'm going to cover some of this, right? Now, this is not 
those of you who are guests here, this is not the kind of church where the preacher gets up and talks about money all the time and asks people to give money. If that's your vision or picture of church, that's not us. Just go on the website, listen to all my other sermons from the last two years. This isn't us, right? This isn't what we do. But it is true that if you're going to do justice in the world, you've got to reach in and you've got to invest in the thing that you want to heal. You've got to invest in it. You've got to reach out to it. We're, we're, we're investing in feeding the hungry. This church is in, from day one. From day one, we've always given at least 10% of the money that has come in straight back out the door. We've given over $120,000. I, I say given. I, I want to say invested. We've invested over $120,000 in feeding the poor and, and creating homes uh, for people and, and training them and launching ministries and launching churches, uh, a warm bed for the homeless. I mean, we, we've, we've been doing this for, for five years, and it is, for me, one of the most glorious parts of what we do as a church. It's, it really is. It's one of the, and it's a testimony, it's a testimony to those who don't believe like us or don't think like us or don't see like us, right? As Christians, what I mean. Because they go, well, look, man, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to follow every doctrine or I don't believe everything that that guy believes. But man, I cannot, you know, they're, they're providing legal counsel for indigent and working poor, people who can't provide legal housing or legal, legal aid for themselves. I can't disagree with that, right? How can I disagree with that? So it's a testimony. Uh, we want to move from being a just us world to being a world of justice. So this is how the story ends. Uh, Jesus finishes the story, finishes the story of the Samaritan. And when he finished, it says, um, he turned back to the lawyer and he said, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now the lawyer got more than he you know, bargained for here. He bit off more than he could chew. And the lawyer said, it's the one who showed him mercy, right? The Samaritan. And Jesus said to him, yeah. So now you go and do likewise. Go build a just world. Go build a world that's not just us, but it's a world of justice. Don't be a religious person who tries to see how small of a circle you can draw around yourself. How many rules can I follow and still, or how many rules can I break and still be in God's good graces, Right? How close to the edge can I get and still God, I, mean, I just want to slip in to heaven. That's all. I just want to just, just barely get in there, right? Jesus is saying, that's, that's not the paradigm I'm working with. I'm telling you to throw open your heart. Throw open your life and create a world that's just, right? He's telling us today, I want you to create a world where they beat their swords into plowshares, right? Where they beat their spears into pruning hooks. Where every mountain is brought low where every valley is exalted where every crooked place is made straight where the glory of the lord is heard throughout the world and all flesh shall hear it and shall receive it every tongue every nation every tribe and the only way that that happens is if we move from just us to justice to reaching out beyond ourselves, to reaching out beyond our walls, to reaching out beyond our confines, to reaching out into our areas where we are not comfortable, to getting intimate with somebody with whom we completely disagree, 
That's, the, that's, one of the, that's one of the flaws, one of the faults that we have in our mind. It's like, well, if we do that, does that mean we're going to become relativistic? Does that mean we're not going to hold to our beliefs? Absolutely not. We, hold, we know what we believe. We know who we are, right? And that gives us the confidence to go out to somebody who believes totally different from us and love that person and reach out to that person and get intimate with that person and invest in that person. He's calling us to change the world. I want to be a part of that vision. I want to be a part of a world where we reach way beyond our comfort zone and we become a church that, that takes the lead in bringing a just us world into a justice world. Music team, you guys can come on up. I'm going to close. And as I do, I, I want to just give you all an opportunity to, to join us and worship with us in a few different ways. Come on up, guys. Uh, and, a, and a few ways that we worship um, at the church, one of the ways that we worship is through, through prayer and through service. Uh, take a moment as the band begins to play. Take a moment. Fill out your Dream Team card. Fill out your connection card. If you're here today and you've, you've sort of hit a point in your life where you go, you know, I'm ready actually to make a, to make a commitment to Christ. And, and I want to actually, I want to be a part of the world that Jesus is calling us to create. I don't know how to do it. I don't know if I agree with everything. But I know there's room for me to begin to pursue him. I think there might be room for, for me to begin to, to reach after him, to, to draw close to him. Let us know. Put it on your connection card that you were given. Let us know. Nobody is going to come to your house. You will not get spam emails sent to you. You'll get somebody from our team to say, hey, how can we serve you? How can we grow with you? How can we help, help you grow and help you develop into the person God wants you to be? So take a moment, fill out those cards, and get connected. If you're a person that says, you know what? I do want to invest. I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of changing this world. I want to be a part of changing our community, of bringing justice and peace and hope and mercy and strength into the lives of people who are struggling. Give. Give to that. You can fill out your connection card. You can, in a moment, we'll have, uh, uh, you can go to these offering baskets and give in that. Um, and that's just a, a, a way that you can be a part of it and that you can partner with it. There's a, a, a priest named Henry Nowen, and he's always writing about these great spiritual things, and he's brilliant. Uh, and he wrote a little book called The Spirituality of Fundraising. And I remember going, that doesn't, those two things never sit in the same category for me. Uh, but in this book, he just says, look, if you're inviting people to partner with you into creating a world that brings honor to God, that's spirituality, right? That's real, man. That's the real deal. So get involved with that. You can do that in the offering baskets. You can do it online uh, or however you want to do it. But get involved. Let's, let's, let's invest $50,000 this year. I mean it. I really want to do it. I'll come out of pocket for whatever's left. No, take that off the recording. I won't do that. <laughs> Will we do that? No. Okay. That's a private conversation we'll have later. <laughs> um, and then finally, uh, you, can, uh, you can worship with us by taking the bread and, and the cup. Uh, we take the bread, we dip it into the cup. Um, and we celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. Um, I mean, he, he exemplified this, right? Right? He identified with us, even though we were not like him. It says he came and he died while we were yet sinners, when we were not 
Jesus people. We were not looking like Jesus. He came and identified with us. He saw our pain, our suffering, our struggle, right? He got intimate with us. He got really close to us, brought us home, right? And he invested in us. He poured out his life. His body broke. His blood spilled on our behalf. He gave it all. He gave it all so that we could have a relationship with him. And he's inviting us to join him and his movement and his mission of bringing that to every single person around the world. That's what he's calling us to. That's a great mission, man. I want to be a part of that, and I invite you to be a part of that as well. Let me pray for us, and then I'll invite you to stand.